Welcome to the November 2nd, 2023 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. On today's podcast, targeting the prostacyclin receptor is a promising strategy for regulating hemostasis and thrombosis. Now, a novel analog of a recently discovered platelet oxylipin is shown to selectively inhibit platelet activation, but without the bleeding risk and off-target activation seen with previous prostacyclin receptor agonists. Up next, new evidence indicates that the progression rate is low in MRD-negative myeloma patients who discontinue post-transplant lenalidomide and dexamethasone maintenance therapy after two years, and adding the protease inhibitor exazomib to maintenance did not prolong progression-free survival. Finally, amphiregulin from leptin receptor-positive niche cells in the bone marrow mediates crosstalk between the niche and hematopoietic stem cells under conditions of DNA repair deficiency and aging. Let's go to our first research article. The oxylipin analog CS585 prevents platelet activation and thrombosis through activation of the prostacyclin receptor. The first author is Livia Stanger of the University of Michigan Medical School in Ann Arbor. We know currently available drugs that regulate platelet function can be effective in preventing thrombosis and reducing risk of cardiovascular events. However, they often are associated with a key downside, namely increased incidence of bleeding events. Thus, the current treatment paradigm is to strike a balance between thrombosis prevention and maintenance of normal hemostasis. The antiplatelet drugs available today act on a limited set of targets, namely cyclooxygenase 1, phosphodiesterase, integrin alpha-2b beta-3, and the P2Y12 platelet surface receptor. In the quest for novel agents that are antithrombotic yet more selective, one promising target that has emerged is the prostacyclin receptor, an important cardiovascular G-protein coupled receptor. Activation of this receptor in platelets results in cyclic AMP accumulation and inhibition of platelet aggregation. Prostacyclin analogs have been evaluated for their antiplatelet effects, but their development has been limited by off-target effects and a lack of stability. However, recent research developments provide an opportunity to revisit the prostacyclin receptor as a therapeutic target. In particular, researchers discovered that platelets form an oxylipin 12-HEAT-RE by the enzyme 12-lipoxygenase. Previous work by this group showed that 12-HEAT-RE has a high affinity for the prostacyclin receptor. Moreover, 12-HEAT-RE increased production of cyclic AMP, which activates protein kinase A to attenuate platelet activation, including integrin activation and granule secretion. In the present research paper, Stanger and co-authors report on their work using 12-HEAT-RE as a starting point for drug development. They began by synthesizing a compound called CS585, basing it on the structure of 12-HEAT-RE. According to the investigators, this oxylipin analog is a highly stable compound that, based on the work they describe here, retains the benefits of a prostacycline receptor agonist while avoiding the limitations related to selectivity and stability. In the paper, the investigators provide evidence that CS585 regulates human platelet function through activation of the prostacycline receptor based on human blood and mouse models of hemostasis and thrombosis. 
The findings of multiple investigations show that CS585 inhibited platelet function in human whole blood ex vivo and prevented thrombosis in mouse models. CS585 worked selectively through the prostacyclin receptor, with no observed off-target signaling through other prostanoid receptors, and the potency of CS585 for inhibiting platelet aggregation was approximately 20-fold greater than the parent compound 12-HEAT-RE. The oxylipin analog was stable in mice and could be administered either intravenously or orally. Its effects were sustained in the blood which investigators say stands in contrast to what has been observed with other prostacyclin receptor agonists, such as selexipag and iloprost. Importantly, even at high concentrations, CS585 did not increase tail bleeding times in mice and did not significantly prolong clotting times in human whole blood. Furthermore, adding CS585 to the oral factor 10A inhibitor rivaroxaban did not change thromboelastographic parameters as compared to rivaroxaban alone, providing evidence that CS585 did not have a negative impact on coagulation in this scenario. Taken together, investigators say the selectivity and potency of CS585 make it a promising new candidate for targeting the prostacyclin receptor. They say its stability in the blood gives CS585 the potential to be used as an antithrombotic agent without impacting coagulation or bleeding. So, can prostacyclin targeting yield an antithrombotic strategy that does not cause bleeding and is, quote, all gain with no pain, end of quote? That's the title of a commentary by Matthew Rondina from the George E. Whalen Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Salt Lake City, Utah. Rondina says this paper includes a comprehensive suite of studies demonstrating that CS585 selectively inhibits platelet secretion, aggregation, and adhesion while significantly reducing venous thrombosis. Rondina says that if CS585 is eventually approved, its selectivity, potency, and oral route of administration could facilitate rapid clinical adoption, similar to what happened with rivaroxaban and the other direct oral anticoagulants as compared to parenteral heparanoids. Interestingly, the prostacyclin receptor also mediates inflammatory responses. Although not studied in the present article, it's possible that CS585 may impact inflammation in diseases mediated in part by platelets, such as atherosclerosis and pulmonary fibrosis. CS585 may have other intriguing applications, including its use in patients who require dual antiplatelet therapy, which is associated with increased bleeding risk as compared to patients receiving a single agent. While future clinical trials may provide answers to these and other questions. The developments reported now by Stanger and co-authors represent a significant milestone on the way to improved antithrombotic strategies. The next article is titled Lenalidomide in Dexamethasone Maintenance with or without Ixazomib, Tailored by Residual Disease Status in Myeloma. The first author is Laura Rosignol of the University of Barcelona in Spain. The use of maintenance therapy to delay or prevent disease progression in multiple myeloma is a strategy that continues to be explored. There are still substantial unanswered questions regarding the benefit of maintenance, particularly in a few areas of controversy. One major question is whether standard maintenance approaches can be intensified to prevent relapses. Another big question is whether maintenance therapy can be stopped, especially in patients with deep responses as indicated by negative MRD or minimal residual disease. 
The immunomodulatory drug lenalidomide has been approved as maintenance in patients with multiple myeloma following autologous hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. Based on data from randomized trials, maintenance lenalidomide has demonstrated improved progression-free survival and overall survival versus observation. Other studies have sought to improve upon the benefit of maintenance lenalidomide. Some indicate that adding dexamethasone to lenalidomide may be synergistic and could improve response rates in this setting, and adding a proteasome inhibitor could further improve benefit. In one study, use of the oral proteasome inhibitor exazomib as maintenance after autologous transplant prolonged progression-free survival by six months versus placebo. Those observations inspired the present randomized phase 3 study of post-transplant lenalidomide plus dexamethasone, with or without exazomib, in patients with newly diagnosed symptomatic multiple myeloma. The primary objective of the study was to determine whether adding exazomib has any impact on progression-free survival. A key secondary objective was to determine the MRD negative rate. Of note, patients with a negative MRD test at two years discontinued maintenance. Rosignol and co-investigators enrolled patients with newly diagnosed multiple myeloma who had previously participated in the Phase 3 PET-HEMA-GEM 2012 study. As part of GEM 2012, these patients had received six cycles of bortezomib, lenalidomide, and dexamethasone, or VRD, followed by autologous transplant, plus two more cycles of VRD as post-transplant consolidation. 332 patients were randomized to receive maintenance RD, lenalidomide plus dexamethasone, or IRD, with exazomib added to lenalidomide plus dexamethasone. Both RD and IRD continued for 24 monthly cycles, at which point MRD-negative patients discontinued maintenance. Everyone else continued for an additional 36 monthly cycles of RD maintenance. 332 patients were enrolled. The median age was 58 years, with patients as young as 32 and as old as 67 at enrollment. 54% of patients were male, and almost one-fourth had high-risk cytogenetics. All patients had at least a partial response when they started maintenance therapy. The MRD negativity rate improved in both groups from baseline to the 24-month evaluation time point. In the RD arm, MRD negativity increased from 50.9% to 71.8%, while in the IRD arm, it increased from 59.6% to 72.4% with IRD at two years, and progression-free survival was similar between arms. With a median follow-up of 69 months, the median progression-free survival was not reached in either group. The six-year progression-free survival rate was 61.3% for RD and 55.6% for IRD. After two years of maintenance, 163 MRD-negative patients discontinued treatment, while 63 patients who were MRD-positive continued on RD. The progression rate was low, even in patients who had high-risk features. The progression rate among the MRD-negative discontinuers was just 17.2% at four years. By contrast, the patients with positive MRD had a progression rate of 50.4% at this time point, despite ongoing maintenance therapy. Taken together, investigators say their results demonstrate the efficacy of lenalidomide plus dexamethasone maintenance. The results also support the safety of discontinuing maintenance after two years in MRD-negative patients. And they indicate that adding exazomib to maintenance did not improve disease control. 
In a commentary on these findings, Sonja Zwiegman and Niels van de Donk of Amsterdam University Medical Centers in the Netherlands ask, should maintenance be maintained in multiple myeloma? They say that the current study provides additional, initial evidence that stopping maintenance therapy in MRD-negative patients is safe and worthy of consideration. They point to the 17.2% progression rate, saying that similar results were seen in the previously reported MASTER trial. In that study, a disease recurrence rate of just 6.4% was reported after discontinuing maintenance consisting of daratumumab with carfilzomib, lenalidomide, and dexamethasone. However, further studies are needed to directly compare maintenance strategies in MRD-negative patients. Results are awaited for a few ongoing Phase three randomized trials, and improved MRD evaluation techniques are needed to provide guidance on safe discontinuation of maintenance therapy. Equally important, these advances could improve the identification of patients who could benefit from intensified maintenance approaches. Our final article is LEPR-positive niche cell-derived AREG compromises hematopoietic stem cell maintenance under conditions of DNA repair deficiency and aging. The first author is Lim I. Wu of the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We know that in the bone marrow, hematopoietic stem cells rely on a highly specialized microenvironment, or niche, not only for their preservation, but also for their functional properties. This niche includes various cell populations that support HSC maintenance, either directly or through paracrine factors that these cells secrete, such as CXCL12, thrombopoietin, TGF-beta-1, and stem cell factor. One marker of interest in hematopoiesis is the leptin receptor, which is expressed in certain stromal cells in adult bone marrow, including skeletal stem cells and osteogenic progenitors. Cells that are leptin receptor positive are an important source of HSC growth factors for maintenance of HSCs and early progenitors, including CXCL12 and SCF. Crosstalk between the bone marrow niche and stem cells is essential for HSC regeneration following injury. Some clues have been found through study of DNA damage responses, or DDR, that find and fix DNA errors, ensuring the integrity of genetic information. Faulty DDR processes can cause disease, including hematological malignancies. There's strong evidence that DDR occurs in HSCs and have a role in regulating hematopoiesis. And DNA damage that persists due to DDR deficiency or aging can compromise HSC function and predispose these cells to leukemic transformation. In recent research focused on DDR-deficient mice, investigators discovered a paracrine signaling axis involving WINT5A and PROX1 that operates between the bone marrow niche and HSCs. They showed that this axis promotes HSC regeneration after radiation damage. However, the crosstalk between the niche and HSCs under conditions of DNA repair deficiency and aging are not well understood. The current research article focuses on how deficiency of BRCA2, a tumor suppressor gene with a role in double-stranded DNA repair, impacts the bone marrow niche and maintenance of HSCs. Mutant BRCA2 is implicated in breast, ovarian, and other cancers. BRCA2 is also known as the Fanconi anemia D1 gene, and biallelic mutations are responsible for a small proportion of cases of Fanconi anemia. Affected patients have multiple congenital malformations, progressive marrow failure, and cancer susceptibility. But the role of BRCA2 in hematopoiesis and the bone marrow microenvironment is just now being elucidated through studies such as this one. 
In their study, Wu and colleagues found that genetic deletion of BRCA2 using Cree drivers targeting different types of marrow niche cells caused an increase in DNA breaks in all cell types. However, only when BRCA2 was deleted in leptin receptor-positive stromal cells were defects in hematopoiesis also seen. These mice had a higher frequency of total HSCs and myeloid-biased HSCs. Moreover, HSCs in mice with deletion of BRCA2 in leptin receptor-positive niche cells exhibited dysfunctional repopulation in transplant assays and increased expansion of donor-derived myeloid-biased HSCs. Next, to explore underlying mechanisms, the investigators performed a cytokine array on bone marrow supernatant collected from the mouse strains with conditional deletion of BRCA2 in different stroma cells. The cytokine amphiregulin, or AREG, was specifically upregulated in the mice with BRCA2 deleted only in leptin receptor-positive stromal cells. AREG is an epidermal growth factor-like molecule and ligand for the EGF receptor and is expressed by a variety of epithelial connective tissue and immune cells. AREG is implicated in normal physiologic processes and helps to promote tissue repair and integrity. Of note, recent studies showed that AREG is also upregulated in bone marrow stroma, and AREG knockdown stromal cells cause apoptosis of HSCs in vitro. However, the role of AREG in hematopoiesis is not well understood. In the current study, both the AREG protein and its mRNA were increased in leptin receptor-positive stroma cells lacking BRCA2, and conditions of persistent DNA damage induced these stromal cells to further overproduce AREG. Additional work showed that treatment of wild-type HSC with recombinant AREG, either in vitro or in vivo, impaired HSC repopulation and led to exhaustion. By contrast, AREG-related defects were reversed when AREG was blocked by neutralizing antibodies or AREG gene deletion in the BRCA2-deficient leptin receptor-positive mice. Finally, the authors showed that leptin receptor-positive stromal cells increased AREG expression when either the ATM or FANC-D2 DNA repair genes were deleted, as well as in aged mice harboring persistent DNA damage following irradiation. Exactly why increased AREG expression negatively impacts HSC maintenance isn't clear, though it may be due to activation of PI3K AKT mTOR pathways, as shown in the research article, or through the promotion of HSC cycling and exhaustion. Taken together, these findings demonstrate that AREG is an important factor mediating communication between the bone marrow niche and HSCs, particularly with regard to HSC maintenance under conditions of DNA damage or aging. So, it's fair to say that after DNA damage, the bone marrow is not in a regular niche. That's not our pun. Credit goes to John P. Shute of Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles, California. Shute wrote a commentary on these research findings. He says this study is an important contribution to the current paradigm of hematopoiesis in which niche-derived paracrine growth factors such as CXCL12 and stem cell factor provide essential support for HSC maintenance. Now, we can add AREG to that list. Importantly, the study by Wu et al. also demonstrates the contribution of a niche-derived paracrine factor in pathologic conditions. Shute adds that the study highlights the important role of BRCA2 in maintaining the genomic and functional integrity of bone marrow stromal cells in the HSC niche, and it raises questions as to how deficiencies in BRCA2 or other DNA repair genes, or the onset of aging, 
may promote increased transcription of AREG, which compromises HSC maintenance. Going forward, he says, it will be important to determine whether DNA repair gene deficiencies in aging are linked to AREG transcription by a common transcriptional regulation, or whether AREG expression can be induced by multiple different processes. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.